Wednesday, I was in my mom's office doing some work about 2 o'clock, and I get a knock on the window. I was a young man standing in the window, and I walk up, and he says, he's, he's, he asked me something that was quite a unique experience. He said, can I come in and use your phone so that I can call my probation officer? And I've heard a lot of things in the years that I've been here as pastor. I've had a lot of things happen, somebody coming to the door. And so I, I kind of was taken aback a little bit because I've never heard that said to me before. And so I kind of asked him again, I said, can you, can you repeat that? And he said, and he pulled out a piece of paper to show me that he, the person he needed to call. He says, if I don't call them by 4 o'clock, you're going to come back and pick me up. So I went outside, and uh, I got the paper, and I made the phone call and tried two or three times, and it didn't go through. And I said, well, let's go to the police office. Let's go to the police station. Maybe they might be able to help us. And so we went there, and they weren't really able to help. They said, the number that you're calling is the number that we would call. You just need to keep on calling. So I did, and, and eventually got through, and, and he was able to talk to them and, and uh, got everything situated and taken care of. So then I asked him after he finished, I said, can I take you somewhere else? Can I take you home? And, and uh, as we're talking. I said, have you eaten lunch? And, and he said, no. I said, well, let's go down here and get you something to eat. So we went and got him something to eat and asked him, again, is it time, you know, you want me to take you home or is there a place? Because, again, if you remember Wednesday was when we were starting to get those real heavy rains coming in. Because he was walking. He, was just, he had walked from his house to the church and had stopped several places to try to find some place to use a phone. His battery was almost dead on his cell phone. His parents were, uh, or his mom and, and her husband were at work. Um, so got him something to eat. He said, if, if, he said, well, I'm trying to go to my girlfriend's house, and, and when I get there, use one of her vehicles to go to the Arlington PD because that's where my stuff is at. It's in the uh, property room there. And so I said, where's your girlfriend live? And, and uh, he told me, and then I started to move that direction. I said, well, I said, I'll just take you. There's no sense in you doing that. I'll, I'll just take you. So we headed there to Arlington PD, and, and uh, when we got there, I'm part of a, uh, a uh, clinical study about, uh, since my kidney stones, uh, drink, I've got to drink two liters of water a day. And when you drink two liters of water a day, two liters of water, water got to get out of you too. And uh, so I told him as we got to the Arlington PD, I said, listen, I said, I've got, I've got to go to the bathroom, so when I drop you off, you're going to see me leave. I'm not abandoning you. I'm going to be back. Uh, but I, I've, I'm going to go down here to QT and, uh, and go use the restroom, and I'll be right back. Probably by the time you get out, uh, we'll get out. And on the way, as we're making the trip from Kennedale to the Arlington PD, I'm, I'm, just, I'm asking him questions. Uh, where he's from, he's lived here about a year. He's from Mississippi, and uh, he told me about his grandma's sweet potato pie and, and uh, how much he loved Thanksgiving and just from a small town in Mississippi and all these buildings that are here in the Metroplex have just wowed him and he came here to try to get a better education and a, and a better job, and, and uh, I'm learning about, a lot about this young man. Uh, after I drop him off and I go to the restroom, I'm, I'm asking the Lord to open up a door. I said, Lord, I don't want to force anything. You know, just all of a sudden, just all uh, come out of my, hey, do you know where you died? In, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? You know, just out of the blue. But I said, you know, just if you, that's what the, where you want the conversation to go, please open up a door. So... He got his stuff from the Arlington PD, got back in the truck. Uh, I said, ready to go home? He said, yeah, that, that'd be great if you could take me home. And so we started heading back to Kennedale. He lives here in Kennedale. And, and uh, as we're driving back, uh, he says, he, says I, he was telling me how grateful he was. And he says, I don't, I don't know how I can repay you. And I said, there's no need to repay. And I talked to him about mercy and grace. 
about mercy and grace. And I, I let him know that he wasn't the only one that needs mercy and grace. I told him about what happened to me the day before on Tuesday. I was driving home. Lisa does, oh, she's not in here, so good. She don't get to hear the story. Uh, I was driving, I was, I was going by this afternoon, and I was going home to check my mail. I came through the traffic circle here. I was in my truck, and I make the traffic circle, plenty of room, and this guy gets right on my bumper. I mean, right on my bumper. I'm doing the speed limit. Now, that aggravates me. I don't know if it aggravates you. It aggravates me. Uh, and it more than aggravates me, to be honest. So we get tra traffic circle, and we're heading towards where the next traffic circle's at at Life Fellowship, and this guy waits to pass me right as the n lanes are narrowing. I got mad. I didn't give him a one-finger salute. I didn't say any cuss words. I did hit the horn. But then I do what I normally do when I get that. I started following them. Now, I don't get up on their bumper, but I started following them. I, I've done that more than once in my life. It's, I mean, it's not something I should be proud of. But he figured it out because he pulls into the, the, one of the service roads of the cemetery where I can't pull in. And uh, so he figured that out. So I thought I'd just go up to Burger Box and wait on him. Well, he decided to go back the other way. After that, I thought, Greg, you, I mean, golly, Greg, come on. I mean, I really, I mean, the Spirit of God convicted me. I mean, he's really convicted me. Uh, and, and, and I just, because uh, like I said, I've, this, this driving behind the car and somebody doing that is a great moment of sanctification in my life which I still haven't obviously passed, but uh, I really got convicted and really felt awful. And I was sharing that with this young man. I said, listen, I, I need grace too. I need grace too. I took him home. I prayed with him and prayed for him. But the important thing to remember is on that Wednesday, there were two people in that truck that needed grace and mercy a young man on probation, and a senior man who allowed his anger to control him. We both needed mercy. We both needed grace. How about you? Do you see yourself as someone who's in desperate need, desperate need of God's daily mercies and grace? And how can you know? How do you know if, if that's really your... Because it's, it's easy to answer yes. It's easy to say, yes, that's me. I, I recognize just how much. But, but, but the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that there is a way you can objectively know if that's really the attitude of your heart. And how you can objectively know that is this, and our text will bear this out, that usually the people who genuinely know their daily need of mercy and grace readily grant mercy and grace to others. When you genuinely understand your daily need of mercy and grace, usually, not all the time, but usually, you will readily grant mercy and grace to other people. Now, as you recall, as we've been making our way through Matthew chapter 11 and 12, the Pharisees are incensed. They are furious. And they have, for the first time in Matthew's gospel, they have engaged in direct debate with Jesus regarding the actions of his disciples. 
And according to the understanding of the Pharisees, their understanding of the Sabbath observance, these disciples had violated the Sabbath by plucking and eating grain. The Pharisees felt justified in their accusation because they believed, they believed that Sabbath observation was under their jurisdiction and their authority. They had the right, they had the authority to say what can and cannot be done. We shared with you uh, from the Mishnah, and we shared with you from the Talmud, uh, just how they had taken the simple command found in Exodus about remembering the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and how they had added burden upon burden upon burden upon burden upon burden. We, we gave you the example that according to the Pharisees, uh, it was if you had something in a jar, and again, they didn't have mason jars with lids on it, you'd put a stone on it to cover the lid, to cover the jar. Uh, according to the Pharisees, if you, took, if you had to get what was in that jar, if you took the stone off, off that jar, you did work and you violated the Sabbath. However, if you tipped the jar over so the stone could roll off, you're good to go on that one. Go figure. Go figure. But that's what the Pharisees had done to the Sabbath observation. And they believed that they were the ones who had the right and the authority to determine that. But as you recall, Jesus is direct and, and, and blunt in His response in verse 8 where He says, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. We put the Greek text up there for you. That first there word, kurios, is Lord. It's in the emphatic position. Lord! Lord He is of the Sabbath. Lord He is of the Sabbath. And, 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 and the third word there is the equative verb that lets us know who is the Lord. And the last four words, the Son of Man. That Jesus lets them know in no uncertain terms that they are not the arbitrators. They are not the determining factor of what is and what is not to be observed on the, fa- the Sabbath. But Jesus Himself and Jesus alone is because He is the Son of Man. He is Messiah and therefore He is Lord of the Sabbath. Last week we, were, we looked at verses 1 and 2 and 8 and it describes the turf war. There's a turf war going on here. In verses 1 and 2 that we looked at last week were were the Pharisees indignant uh, and they they confront Jesus. Why do your disciples do this on the Sabbath? And then in verse 8 where Jesus lets them know, listen, you're not the arbitrators, I am. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In verses 3 through 7, which we're going to look at today, Jesus uses three examples from the Hebrew Scriptures to illustrate the preeminence of mercy over ritualistic obedience. Of mercy over ritualistic obedience. These verses also explain why the Pharisees were so harsh and so accusatory. The reason why they are so harsh, the reason why they are so accusatory, the reason why they are so judgmental is simply because they did not understand God's mercy. They knew the Scriptures but they didn't know the God of the Scriptures. They could quote the text back and forth. They could explain all the nuances, all the details, all, the, all what, 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 what this uh, Hebrew verb meant or what this Hebrew noun meant. They could explain all that to you. And you would be in awe and wonder uh, of their knowledge. But they had no idea of what it meant to experience the mercy of God and be an instrument of mercy in the life of someone else. They were all about rules and regulations. But they should have seen it. The very scriptures they claimed to know 
The very scriptures they claimed to protect, that's how the Pharisees came into existence in the first place. They believed that the, the Jewish nation, uh, prior to the time of the Maccabees, was getting further and further away from the truth of the scripture. They were becoming liberal in their thinking concerning the scripture. And they had a, a righteous zeal. The, 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 their motive was, was, was correct. They wanted to make sure that the scriptures would be protected that the Scriptures uh, w- would not be abused, that the Scriptures, uh, the, 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 what, what the Scriptures meant, uh, that, 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 that meaning and that understanding would continue to go throughout the, the centuries to come. But they claimed to protect these Scriptures, they claimed to know the Scriptures, and these Scriptures that they claimed to know and protect gave them example after example after example after example of the preeminence of mercy. Well, Jesus in our text today, his first example is found in verses 3 through 4. Look at, look at it again. Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did? Have you not read what David did? These Pharisees should have known the preeminence of mercy since humanity's need is great. Human- Why is mercy preeminent? Why is God a God? We sing about that. Merciful in my, he's holy, which not only talks about his righteousness, but the idea of holiness means he's he's separate from us. He's not like us. We we will we'll never have a complete understanding of who God is. He's not. He doesn't love like us. He doesn't emote like us. He doesn't think like us. He is higher. He, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. He's holy. And one of the aspects of His holy is His mercy and His might. But humanity's need is great. Jesus gives us an incident from the life of another rejected king of Israel and his men. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But again, look at verses 3 and 4, the full text there. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Now again, remember the context of what's going on here. Jesus and the disciples are walking through the fields. They're, it's on the Sabbath day, and his disciples are hungry. And it, it's more than likely a wheat field. The word that's used there oftentimes uh, throughout the New Testament refers to wheat grain. And so they're taking, if, you, if you've ever seen a wheat field, you know how the, how the grain's at, at the head there, and they take it and they, they pop the head and they start eating the grain. They're hungry. They're hungry. And they're eating that. And, 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 and the Pharisees are criticizing them because in their world, that's work. And they violated the Sabbath. So Jesus tells them a story they should have been very familiar with. A story of David and his men when they're hungry. They're hungry. And, and, and Jesus tells us that they te- technically violated the law. They, they go into the house of God. They go into the tabernacle. The temple's not built at this time. They go into the tabernacle. And on every Sabbath day, the priest would bake 12 fresh loaves of bread. And those 12 fresh loaves of bread would be put on the table of presents or, or the table of showbread. And, and it, it, was, it was placed in the holy place. And it was a symbol of the fact of, of God's provision for the people. 12 loaves for 12 tribes of Israel. And of God, that God was their bread. In fact, Jesus uses that example when He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. 
And, and so those 12 loaves would be placed out there, and the old loaves that had been there for a week, the priest would take off. And according to the law in Leviticus uh, 24, verses 8 through 9, those loaves were, were to be given to Aaron and his, to, the, to the high priest and to his descendants, to his family, and they would eat those loaves of bread. And they would eat those loaves of bread in the holy place uh, because they were considered holy. So Jesus says, haven't you read when David and his men were hungry, they enter into the house of God and they eat the bread of presence, which was not lawful for them to eat, nor for those who were with them, but only the priests. They technically violated the law, but yet Jesus doesn't condemn them. They, he doesn't condemn, condemn them. Well, why? Well, why? Well, 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 keep your place there in, in, uh, in, in uh, uh, Matthew 12 and go to 1 Samuel chapter 21. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21 is the incident that Jesus is talking about. Let me tell you what happened in chapter 20. It's, a, it's one of my wife's favorite stories. It's the story of David and Jonathan. Remember, Jonathan is Saul's son. And, and Saul wants David dead. Saul, David is actually Saul's son-in-law at this time. And Saul wants David dead. And so David doesn't go to eat with the king, and he, a couple, he doesn't do that a couple nights, and, 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 and Jonathan and David meet, and, and Jonathan says, listen, I'll find out what my father's intentions are towards you. You go hide in this field, and I'm going to come out with my, with my, with my servant, and I'm going to shoot an arrow. And if I shoot an arrow, and I shoot an arrow way far, and I tell my servant to go, no, the arrow's farther down, you go get that, then you'll know you need to get out of Dodge. That my, dad's, my dad is going, is going to kill you. And you need to flee. And so that's what happens. And David and Jonathan meet. And, 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 and then they make a covenant with each other. that they'll not, they'll not destroy each other's families. And David and his men hightail it out of town. And that brings us to chapter 21. It says there in chapter 21, Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? So they're on the run. And Ahimelech, who's the, high, the priest at that time, says, David, what's going on? You're by yourself. What's going on? And in verse 2 and 3, we see the ruse and the request. The ruse and the request. And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one say anything uh, of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an, an, uh, an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. So, so David is either being deceptive or he's lying. At, at best, he's being deceptive. It's possible that David meant, you know, that, that God was telling him, Jehovah was telling him to get out of town, which he was. But David wants to, Ahimelech to think that Saul is the one who is having him go on this journey. David has already been anointed king of Israel because of Saul's sin. And so David here is the rejected king. David and his men here are the rejected ones, just as Jesus in Matthew 12 is the rejected king. And his men are rejected. And then he makes his request. He says, now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves, he's asking for five of the twelve, of the bread or whatever is here. So he says, we're hungry. We need some bread. And so then you have the response and the restriction. In verses 4 and 5, And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women, 
And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? Basically part of the rules and regulations of the nation of Israel, and you find this in Leviticus chapter 15, was the fact is, as the men would get ready to go to war, the men were to abstain from any kind of sexual relationship with their wife. And not because the sexual relationship was bad, but the fact that God was going to come into the camp. God was their general. God was going to fight for them. And as God came to fight for them, and God, they had to be totally committed and totally set apart to God. And so they were not to have any kind of relations, physical relations with their wives. Which is why, remember, when, when David sends for Uriah, and he wants Uriah to go to Bathsheba so that they can be involved together sexually, and so then that way David sinned with Bathsheba, and the baby, everybody's going to think the baby's Uriah's instead of David's. And Uriah says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Because my army, my comrades are in the field. And God is expected to be there. And God is expected to be there, and therefore we have to set ourselves apart. Totally, totally focused on what God wants us to do. And so the priest says, the only bread I have here is holy, but if, but if your men have kept themselves, if your men have set themselves apart to God, then you can have it. You can have it. And David says, we have. And in verse 6, you, you get the approval there where he says, So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. There's no problem. So, so why did the priest... Why did the priest allow this technical violation? Why did he allow it? Nothing's directly stated in the, in the text in 1 Samuel. However, indirectly, mercy was displayed due to need and due to hearts that honored God. Mercy was dis- There was a need. There was a qualification they had to meet in this particular case, and they met that qualification... But Ahimelech recognizes there's a need. And technically, they're not supposed to eat the bread, but he's got nothing else to give them. He's got nothing else that he can give them. So it's either, I'm sorry, guys, all I got here is holy bread, and technically, I can't give it to you, so, you know, go suck a rock. Or he recognizes that he can be merciful. He says, listen, have you kept yourself away from women? And they said, yeah, we have. We're on this journey. We have. We've separated ourselves to God. And Elmick says, take it. Eat it. Let me give you an illustration that might help. Let's say you're coming to church next Sunday. And as you're coming to church next Sunday, you see a woman, an elderly woman, who's on the side of the road and her tire's flat. But you teach a Sunday school class, and you got to be at church. So what do you do? Do you roll down the window and say, hey, I'd love to help you, but i got to teach a Sunday school class, so, you know, good luck. Let me tell you, put more, lift with your legs and not your back. Or do you stop and help her? Do you stop and help her? call up and say, listen, I, I'm going to, I may get there later. I may not get there at all. I'm, I'm trying to help this lady. She need, everybody's just passing by her on the freeway. And she needs some help. She needs some help. What's Jesus' point by using this example from David? 
His point is simply this, that if David and his men were not condemned for a technical violation of the law because of need, Jesus' disciples, who did not violate the law, but the Pharisees' tradition, are guiltless. Are guiltless. So Jesus, listen, you guys know the law, or you think you know the law, but your tradition, listen, if David and his men were fed the bread of the presence and were not condemned, it was not withheld from them. Do you not see your heartlessness? Do you not see your lack of mercy in your life? You claim to know the scriptures. You claim to know God. But where is your mercy? Where is your mercy? My disciples didn't even, it's, what they did was not even a violation of the law. It's your tradition. And yet, yet, you condemn them. But Jesus uses another example. And I think, in a sense, he's doing it for the sake of argument. For for the sake of argument. Even if the Sabbath law was technically violated by his disciples. Jesus, okay, okay, I'll give you the point. I'll say that, that what... Even if we say that what my disciples did by plucking grain was technically a violation of the law, Jesus lets them know in verses 5 and 6 that the Sabbath is technically violated every Sabbath by the priest. And he uses that same phrase again. Look at verse 5. Remember what? Look at what he said in verse 3. Verse three Have you not read what David did? Look at verse 5. Or, have you not read... In the law. Have you not read in the law? Had the Pharisees not read about the authority of temple ministry? In verse 5, where Jesus says, Have you not read in the law how, the, how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? How do the priests profane the Sabbath? Listen, the Sabbath day was to be a day of rest. The Sabbath day was to be a day set apart where the people worshipped God and the people rested from their labor. But the Sabbath day was a day of work for the priests. Keep your place there and go to Numbers chapter 28. Numbers chapter 28. So Jesus is, Jesus is referring him right back to this passage of Scripture. Numbers 28. He said, you guys know the Bible? Or at least you say you know the Bible. Did you skip over this part in your daily Bible reading? He said, haven't you read this? Look at chapter 28 and verses 9 and 10. On the Sabbath day, two male lambs a year old without blemish and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering every Sabbath beside the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. So every Sabbath they had to kill two sheep, two lambs, two male lambs. They had to, to make, I, I, uh, I forget exactly the, the measurement there, but, but an, uh, an, uh, about four quarts, basically, of, 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 of flour, mixed with uh, four quarts of oil mixed with the flour, and, and you have a drink offering. So they had to make bread. They had to sacrifice two lambs, as well as the daily sacrifice, which was two other lambs. These guys are working. These are, guys are working. Sunday's a work day for me. 
It's a work day for me. Sunday or the Sabbath is a work day for these priests. They work. They work on Sabbath, and yet they're not resting. They're not doing what everybody else gets to do. They are working, and Jesus is basically saying that they profane the Sabbath. Even if what my disciples did was technically a violation of the law, the priests violate, technically violate the law every Sabbath because they are working and slitting animals' throat, the lamb's throats. They are taking the blood and putting where the blood needs to be. They're taking the carcass and putting where the carcass needs to be. They are going through all this process of offering up the sacrifices. Why are they doing this? Why does God allow this? Because these offerings were worship offerings, symbolizing the worshiper's recognition of, appreciation for, and dedication to the God of mercy. These offerings on the Sabbath constituted a ministry of mercy on behalf of the people. These were burnt offerings, these sweet aroma offerings. They were offerings where they are, as we said, recognizing that God is a holy God and they are a sinful people and they need need the, the blood of the Lamb. Uh, to, to take care of their sins. They are appreciating, pre- appreciating that's part of the, the, the grain offering. They are appreciating what God has done for them and God's mercy towards them. And they are de- these burnt offerings were dedication offerings to God. They were offerings that were a, a sweet-smelling aroma to God. They are not only displaying and showing the people what the mercy of God looks like, but they are also doing a ministry of mercy on behalf of the people. And that's because that, and, and that's why it's not. It might be technically a violation, but all that this ministry of mercy is much more important than the quote unquote technical violation of the law. In other words, the ministry and authority of the temple was greater than the technical violation of the Sabbath. Well, what's Jesus's point? Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 6. Verse 5, he says, Or have you not read in the law how the, on the Sabbath the priest and the temple profane the temple, profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? And look at verse 6. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. What's Jesus' point? Notice he said something and not someone. Something, not, so, not, not someone. It's neuter. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that if the, if the Sabbath can be violated by the priest because of their ministry in the temple, a ministry that demonstrates and acknowledges and appreciates the mercy of God, then Jesus' mercy work and Jesus' authority are greater than the temple. And thus He overrules the Sabbath. If the ministry and authority of the temple can overrule the Sabbath, something greater than the temple is here. Jesus. Well, how's He greater? How's He greater? Well, first of all, what did the temple represent? The temple represented the presence of God. The Holy of Holies is is where where God came on the Day of Atonement and and His his glory filled that place as the the offering would be offered to Him on that Day of Atonement where where the sins of the people would be forgotten, would be wiped away for the past year. It was the place where God... The temple was the place where God met His people. And Jesus is Emmanuel, God among us. 
God among us. Why is he greater? Because there's a greater authority of presence. If we want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He's God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. But not only is there a greater authority of presence, but a greater ministry of mercy. The, 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 the temple ministry of mercy only, uh, would, would only have sins to be covered over, to be wiped away for the past year. And it would be done day after day. You had to, there were daily sacrifices of lambs, Sabbath sacrifices of lambs. Constantly you had blood flowing and, 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 and blood everywhere with, with, with the, the fact that these sins had to be covered. But as we saw when we preached through the book of Hebrews, Jesus did it once for all. The blood of Christ is greater than the blood of bulls and goats. The blood of Christ cleanses us. Not just that our sins are wiped away for the past year. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all our sins. We are forgiven. We are forgiven. My sins have been cast far away as the east is from the west. And I have a standing of righteousness before God. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus can legitimately offer those Pharisees who have been criticizing Him and criticizing His disciples, Jesus can legitimately offer them mercy. But receiving it requires them to acknowledge His authority. For the Lord, He is the Son of Man as the text has it in English, so it makes better English, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And that, acknowledging the authority of Jesus, is something they simply will not do. And that failure is a failure which forfeits their experience of God's glory and greatness. Look at verse 7. You can almost hear his heart breaking as he says this. And if you had known what this means, and he quotes here from Hosea 6.6, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. You wouldn't have been harsh. You wouldn't have been critical. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The Pharisees were very knowledgeable of the ins and outs of Sabbath, and, of Sabbath observance. They were ignorant, however, of mercy's role in God's interaction with humanity. As we said, this verse is quoted from Hosea 6 6. If you would turn there, please, to Hosea chapter 6, and, and we're going to look at verse 4. Israel and Judah are unrepentant. Look what, look what Hosea says about God's people in verse 4. He says, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? He's talking about the northern kingdom. What shall I do with you, O Judah? He's talking about the southern kingdom. So he's talking about the whole nation of Israel. Now, 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 now ladies or men, think about writing this in your next love letter. Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. 
you're fickle. Your love lasts about that long. It's like, it's like fog. And it lifts, you know. Guys, you, guys and ladies that are single, don't, don't write that in a note. You're not going to get anywhere with that one, okay? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. You're fickle. You're fickle. You love me, you know, love me, love me not. Love me, love me not. Love me, love me not. He says, therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light. God says, there is ju- God is a merciful God, but He is a God of judgment. And there does come a time when God says, that's it. That's it. But then look what He says in verse 6. For I desire, it's my, it's my favorite word in the Old Testament, because you get to go chesed. For I desire chesed and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The Septuagint version of the Hebrew Bible, it, it, it trans, it, it's, it's not contrastive, but it's comparative. In other words, he, you could translate it this way. For I desire steadfast love more than sacrifice. It, it's not one or the other. It's not, okay, I'm either going to give God steadfast love or I'm going to give God sacrifice. God still wants obedience out of our life. God still wants us to walk in His ways. There is. God does discipline His children. When I, when I get away from God, God does discipline me. God, God lovingly brings me back to Himself. There are consequences to sinful choices. God still wants sacrifice. God still wants obedience. But God, but God more, more, than, more than God wanting to discipline me, he wants to, he wants to be merciful to me. But even in His discipline, He's merciful to me. Because if I got what I deserved, huh, after Tuesday, I wouldn't be here. It's not contrastive, it's comparative. Verse 6 teaches us that rituals of worship are offensive to God without chesed, without steadfast, loving kindness, steadfast love and mercy. That, that word that's tr- chesed, it's, tr- it's, trans- it's translated steadfast love, it can be translated mercies. It, it's a word that just can't be summed up by one English word. And genuine worship starts with a heart that has been transformed by God's mercy. Genuine worship starts with a heart that has been transformed by God's mercy. But when you go back and you look back in our text where Jesus says, And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And when those, when those Pharisees heard that, they should have had that that Yogi Berra statement should have came into their mind. It's deja vu all over again. Because if you'll, back in Matthew 12, if you'll just go back a few chapters to Matthew chapter 9, and in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, Jesus heals the paralytic. Remember, this is where Jesus first tells, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees go, who can forgive sins? And Jesus says, let, let me tell you, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? So Jesus says, to show you that I am who I say I am, 
verse eight, uh, or verse six of chapter nine. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, "Rise, pick up your bed, and go home." And he rises, he picks up his bed, and he goes home. And that makes the Pharisees a little angry. And then Jesus does something even more in in verses nine through uh, nine through thirteen. Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew's the reason why he, where he calls Matthew from is the fact that Matthew's invited over to his house, and Matthew's a tax collector, and so you find that taking place. And in and, and, and verse eleven, and when the Pharisees saw this, they see he's talking about verse ten. Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus was eating with a bunch of sinners. Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, Now listen, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Chapter 12. And you have not known what this means. I, or, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. They've heard this before. But it hasn't sunk in yet. In Matthew 9, the Pharisees failed to see their own need. Those who are whole don't need a physician, but those who are sick. If you understood the sense that I desire mercy, not sacrifice, that mercy is preeminent. I desire mercy more than sacrifice, that that humanity has a need. But the Pharisees did not see themselves as having any need. They, They thought they were okay. And Jesus said, you need to learn that. You're not okay. There's not a person on the face of this earth that doesn't daily need the mercy and grace of God. In our text in Matthew 12, they failed to see Jesus as the God of mercy. In Matthew 9, they failed to see their own need. In Matthew 12, they failed to see Jesus as the God of mercy. No wonder they treated the 12 the way they did. So as we close, let me go ask again what I ask all of us at the beginning. Do you see yourself is someone who daily needs the mercy of God? Or do you think you're okay? Do you think you're okay? Or do you see yourself as someone who daily needs the mercy of God? And if you do, how is that evidenced in your life? Would those closest to you Describe you as merciful. Would that be a way that they would describe you? Tell me about your dad. He's merciful. Is your dad merciful? Is your mom merciful? Is your brother merciful? Is your sister merciful? Is your son merciful? Is your daughter merciful? Is your pastor merciful? Are your elders merciful? Are the deacons and deaconesses merciful? Would those closest to you describe you as merciful? Again, that doesn't mean that we don't deal with sin. It doesn't mean that we don't exercise discipline when discipline needs to be done. 
it doesn't mean that, that we don't confront sinful situations. But even as we do that, even as we're confronting, and even as there has to be consequences because of, because of sinful choices, even in, the, even in the, the execution of judgment, there needs to be mercy. God does. Do you know that God, the degree of punishment in hell is determined by your opportunities of coming to Christ? Everybody in hell is not going to be punished in the same degree. It's based upon opportunity. Even in God's judgment, He's showing mercy. He's showing mercy. Again, I'm not saying that we become, you know, just weak, lily-livered people that that just kind of, okay, well, let's just be merciful. God's a God of righteousness, and God's a God of judgment, and God's a God of purity and holiness, and, and all those things need to be part of our lives. But, Go and learn this. Mercy more than sacrifice. Mercy more than ritualistic obedience. Jesus' ministry is a ministry of mercy. Reconciling people to God. And according to Paul, you and I as believers have also been given this ministry of reconciliation. This ministry of reconciliation we are to display mercy. When I was talking with that young man, and I, I don't want to say his name because like he lives here in the area. When I was talking to that young man and he was talking about thank you that I took the time to help him. He said, you know, I went to several other churches where people were at and Nobody answered the door. And I know we've got to be careful today, and I understand that. And I told him, I said, yeah, I understand that. i got a gun here. <laughs> I keep a gun here. I understand that. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. We also have to trust the Lord when He gives us opportunities of mercy. Mercy and grace. I've still got a long way to go. Because you see, if I, if I, if I really had it down, there wouldn't have been a guy pulling the parking, pulling the side road on at the cemetery on Tuesday. Because I'd have been merciful even though he deserved everything. I'd have been merciful. May we hunger for a heart that is being transformed by the mercy of God. Have you experienced the mercies of God? Do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? If you do, it's nothing that you've done. It's because of the mercy and grace of God bestowed upon you through what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. He took God's wrath. He took our shame. He took our guilt. And on that cross, He offered up His perfect, sinless life as a substitute, as the payment for my sin and your sin. And because He took God's wrath, 
God can grant us his mercy. He can grant us his mercy. And my hope is not in what I do. My hope is not in how much I try. My hope is not what denomination I go to. My hope is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because He did for me what I can never do for myself. Make me acceptable to God. Do you have that relationship with Him today through the, to the Father, through Jesus Christ? No man comes to the Father except through Christ. And for those of us who are believers, your life maybe looks like mine. Merciful one day, unmerciful the next. And may we covenant with one another that God would help all of us to grow in our acts of mercy. That we would come to realize the grace and mercy that's been bestowed upon us. God is so merciful to us. I mean, really? Do you think really you should, you should have and enjoy what you have and enjoy? I mean, you know you. Really? But God is merciful. And God is gracious. Because He does love His stupid children. He does love us. May we leave here today in awe of His mercy and grace. And may we leave here today with a burning desire in our heart to display to others the kind of mercy and grace that has been bestowed upon us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to know you. I don't know the hearts of those that are here today, but you do. Father, I pray that you would help us. Lord, we, we, we're, we, we are prone to extremes. You're not asking us to do away with righteous judgment. You tell us in the Matthew's Gospel that we're to judge, but we're to do so after we deal with the beam in our own eye. Because then we can judge with mercy. Judgment still needs to be made. But we can do it with mercy. So Father, give us that balance. Give us that wisdom. Help us to know where we, we're ignorant. I'm ignorant. And help us to grow in our acts of mercy. And Lord, that'll happen when we come to realize more and more the mercy and grace that has been given to us by you to people like us. Father, turn our hearts to you. Cause us to see. Cause us to be in awe. 
before we pillow our heads tonight to think of what love and grace and mercy has been bestowed upon us. That we should be called sons of God. Father, we thank you that we are your children. We pray for those who may be here that may not know you. I pray, Father, you show them their need today. Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are and for what is ours in your Son, Jesus Christ. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we don't have an altar call, but we do have an invitation because we're all going to respond to God's Word today. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can cry out to Him right now. There's no special prayer. There's no special. You just got to recognize your need. I'm not acceptable to God. I'm a sinner. You're crying out to Him in repentance and faith, and you can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. For those of us who are believers, I, I'm not sure what your need is today, but He does. And He's speaking to your heart. Yield to His authority. Run to the comfort of His presence. And allow God to do His work of grace in your life today. We're going to go to the Lord in a moment of silence and give you time to make your choice to experience the mercy and grace of God by submitting to His authority or to choose the route of the Pharisee. And after that, we'll close out our time of worship. Let's go to the Lord in a time of silence.